your money is like a bar of soap. And the more that you handle it, the less that you have of it. So if you kind of think about it. Welcome back to the Max Your Dash podcast. Thank you for listening, liking, and sharing. My name is Steve. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nate. Nate, what's going on? What's happening, Steve? Excited for episode four. We got a big one today. Yes, we've made it to episode four, and we have our first guests on ever, which is awesome. Why don't you give them the inaugural introduction? We have some some very special guests for today's podcast. We've got, we've got two guests with us today. I'm going to give them a little intro. Um, first off, we've got with us today one of our founding partners, our chief appetizer officer. He's always in charge of picking apps when we're out to eat. One of our key investment managers, newly married from the Dominican Republic. Not from the Dominican, Dominican by the way. <laughs> got married in the Dominican <laughs> We have with us today Mark Temperato. Mark, say hi to everybody. What's going on, everybody? Wow, what a great intro! <laughs> Wait, I got it. I got it. I got it. I might have a better one. Okay. Our second guest for today's podcast, again, another one of our founding partners, a guy with many skills, but possibly his best skill is hunting down coupons. He's our. <laughs> He's our he's our chief financial officer and also one of our key investment managers, Matthew Piazny. Yeah, say hi to everybody. How are we doing? <laughs> that you. is amazing. <laughs> so uh, so I'll kind of go over the uh, the topic for today, shall I, Steve? Go ahead. All right. Well, we we asked these two fine gentlemen to join the podcast today because. Um, all jokes aside, they're, they are responsible for extremely important decisions that happen day in and day out at Dash Capital in regards to our investment management. And they do a lot of analysis, a lot of research day in and day out to help our clients invest their money. And today's topic is going to be investing 101. And so we asked these guys to join us today. We're going to ask them some, some very targeted questions and uh, hopefully teach our listeners today a little bit about investing. Yes, I think this is awesome that we're talking about this because especially I feel like the past couple of years, investing has become such like a hot topic slash trend. You know what I mean? I, I feel like everyone's trying to do it and everyone's trying to learn as much as possible. And there's so much stuff out there. It's literally like drinking out of a fire hose. So I think this is gonna be an awesome like, if you don't know anything about investing, this could literally be the first thing you listen to. And it's a great first thing to listen to. I think that would be the goal. Like you are learning like the foundations of investing, getting some key takeaways, but you're not overwhelmed, hopefully. Yep. Totally uh, agree. And I think in the world of investing today and in the world that we live in today, where there's so much information, people sometimes need to remember that they need to, they need to be able to walk before they run. You know, yes. and, and I think that's going to be sort of the theme of today is what does it mean to like get the foundation down and be able to walk before you can run? 
So I'm excited. I'm excited to get our our portfolio managers' opinions. Steve, how do you think we're going to be able to do to keep these these guys like on on task? I have no idea because they are like complete opposites from us. Very analytical. So it'll be it'll be a good time. But I think Mark and Matt, we're just going to rapid fire some questions at you guys. You guys can answer, chime in with each other, cut each other off, whatever you want to do. But we just have some good questions, and I'm sure we'll have some some good conversation in between those as well. If that's if that's cool with you guys, we will uh, yeah. we'll do our best to to not be overly analytical. It's it's a little little tough, but uh, yes. we'll give it our best shot, Steve. Real okay. quick, real quick, hang on, real quick, Matt. Serious question: Do you teach your clients how to coupon? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> wait, can, can, we, can we also say this before we get started? We're recording this on April 21st, and I woke up and there was snow on the ground. Oh, uh, yeah, I th- unbelievable. I, th- I thought I was. I thought I traveled back in time. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that that that's for that that was just like crazy. But yes, let's uh, let's get into it. I think I have a great first question to lead us off. I think I'm going to ask Mark this, but Matt, if you have a better answer, that's completely fine. But I know that a lot of what's going on, like the hot topic when it comes to investing is with crypto and Bitcoin and everything like that. So Mark, I think let's say a client comes to you and says they have a friend or a family member or someone who's made a killing on crypto or something like that, that, that type of investment. And they want to know if they should put some of their money into Bitcoin or anything like that. How would you respond to a client or someone who says that? Because I'm sure you've heard that before. You've heard someone talk about it. It's all the rage right now. Every week. Every week. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of the the hottest topics out there lately is investing in cryptocurrency. And I mean, I I guess the first thing I would be thinking is hindsight's 2020. If we we all knew that it was going to go from 5,000 to 60,000 and in a year, then we all would have all put our money there. But the, the first response is really that, you know, if you've got a, a plan in place that you you know that you're on track to achieve your goals through, I'm going to call it normal investing strategies. So you're, you have a portfolio built that's in alignment with your goals, your risk tolerance and time horizon. And you know, you can achieve those goals without Bitcoin going to $150,000 or any of these cryptos blowing up, then sure, it might be something that you can, can play around with. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I think in general, you should really understand what you're investing in. And just because something's doing really well doesn't mean you should put your dollars in it. You should make sure that you understand it first. Um, and it's just like any product that you buy. You, you're going to do your research on it and make sure that it's it's good and, and high quality and fits your needs before you put any dollars in it. Matt, what about you? <laughs> oh, gosh, we, we probably get this question I would say weekly, um, and I, I would say the biggest thing to focus on is is you, you specifically and your goals. I mean, social media has caused a, a massive, 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 de, you know, depression for folks. And I, I would say the biggest reason is because people on social media are posting their best things, not their worst, right? They're not going to sit there and post the things that they lost money on. They're going to, you know, tout the things that they did good on, and you know be an expert in that area when they're, right. they're in reality it was it was a lucky guess at least as far as this crypto world has gone for the most part um but you know just focus on yourself figure out what your specific goals are um you know everybody has this fomo that you missed out on, on an opportunity but 
you know, in the stock market world, there's always opportunities out there and, and just focus on your time horizon. And, you know, if if you were going back to Mark's question or Mark's answer, I would say, you know, if you know what your goals are and you're on track for everything else, if this is play money, I would much rather see my clients investing or taking a chance on investing, whether it's stocks or crypto, than just wasting their money altogether on, you know, booze or going out to dinner. Um, you know, at least there's an opportunity there for, for them to make some money. But it, 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 most folks that we speak with on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, aren't willing to, uh, you know, risk their hard-earned dollars that they spent 20, 30, 40 years of saving um, on on a, a risk like that. So it's very volatile. And the only, the only other thing I would really add to that, too, is just, you know, just like any investment, you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. And you know, I, I fear for the people who have gotten really have done really well over the past year or so in Bitcoin. Um, but that's where all of their money is, because anything that can go up that fast can also go down that fast. And they should be aware of that. Not saying that it's going to happen, but that's something that's a risk that they, they should be aware of. So to kind of break that down a little bit, so. Mark, you you were saying kind of a checklist of things that you said it would be appropriate in your opinion for someone to to play around a little bit in crypto. Could we go over those one more time? Um, like, what would be the things you'd say if you have this, if you have this, if you have this, if you have this, then sure we can we can take a chance there. Yeah. Oh, so that's there's there's probably a, a lot to fill in there, but so overall, I mean, starting first with just a financial plan, you know what your know what your goals are. And, and you have a strategy in place to achieve them, meaning that you know exactly how much you need to be putting away on a monthly basis based on some assumed rate of return uh, to achieve those goals using, again, what I'm going to call, quote unquote, normal investment strategies. Um, but probably be, you know, before you start putting money into crypto, you should also make sure that you don't have any credit card debt, that you have an emergency fund built. Um, that you have the proper insurances in place, things like that, to make sure that if anything bad happens to you, you're going to be okay. Again, regardless of what happens to to the price of Bitcoin or whatever cryptos you might be investing in. Got it. So you got to have a plan. You got to have clear goals. You need to be have saving strategies in place to hit those things, and you're protected. You know, you have an emergency fund, no credit card debt. Then cool, go play around mm-hmm. a little bit. I like it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Steve, what else we got for these guys? Mark, so you pretty much just said having a financial plan, and then you're saying you also need to know your time horizon, risk tolerance, and then all that other stuff, like having a diversified portfolio, and then you can start looking into that stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of think about it like a you have your core focus, your serious dollars, the, the things that are really, you know, super important to you that you can't really risk losing. You need this stuff to work out for you long term. Right. Um, that should be your core focus. And then, you know, for myself personally, you know, the, the extra money that I can put into something that I'm honestly okay with losing, then okay, sure, you, it's okay to invest in something like that. But it's, it's, it's still a newer thing that we don't really know how it's going to play out. And, you know, I, I think that it's really, really important to have everything on track using the things that we understand well. Um, and then, if again, if there's extra, then, you know, go for it. Right. I want to I talk a little bit about the word diversified and having a diversified portfolio because I feel like everyone uses that word, like tosses it out. And I want to like kind of nail down exactly what it means, right? So, Matt, I'll come to you. If we're talking about a diversified portfolio, right? So let's just say 
someone comes to you with, let's say they have 20 growth tech stocks in their portfolio, right? They have 20 different stocks. Are they diversified? <laughs> Good question. Um, well, I, you know, they are diversified in the sense that they, they have multiple stocks that they're invested in. Um, and that helps reduce, I guess, the, the company risk. So, you know, you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket back to what Mark was saying. Um, but and you're essentially saving yourself from a, a Kodak scenario. So for all of our Rochester-based folks, they, they probably understand what has happened to Kodak over the last you know couple decades. But what you are missing out on is you are still facing a lot of the the same tech sector company risks. So you know it's just like if the the client were to buy, or if this client he he owns Coke and Pepsi, right? If we think about a specific stocks that companies yep. would know, they, they know Coke and Pepsi. Um, that's diversification, I guess, in the same industry. Uh, but that same industry, whether it's the tech sector or that, you know, the soft drink sector, um, you know, they're both facing specific sector risks or more systemic or systematic risk or, or these economic risks. So, you know, I don't find that is extremely diversified again, you know, depending on what the client's goal is, but if they were to tell me they had a diversified portfolio, I would say that, you know, that that's definitely not diversified um and, and there's different ways that we help folks understand what that looks like um, and different ways to diversify and create that portfolio and we can kind of dig into that too okay go ahead mark <laughs> uh, yeah so i mean i guess i would start with um asking a client if they understand the the purpose of diversification and what it is it's a risk management strategy so you know having 20 stocks in just large cap growth or growth or just tech stocks or whatever whatever it might be might be diversified in one asset class but those things are going to pretty much act the same way if there's any outside market influence that's going to impact them one of those is actually going on right now or there's a lot of talk about it is the rising interest rate environment those are not good for tech stocks so if you have all of your money in just tech stocks they're going to act the same way you want to create some type of negative correlation or have other things that are going to act differently when there's different market influences happening out there. So the short answer is no, I don't believe it's a diversified portfolio. It might be diversified in just large cap growth or, or tech, but it's not diverse, an entire diversified portfolio. So help, help, help people understand when you say asset classes, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so there's so there's different. I mean, I guess there's a there's a bunch of them, right? So there's there's large cap stocks, there's mid cap stocks, there's small cap stocks, and then there's you can kind of split those apart between uh, growth oriented, value oriented, and and a blend of the two. So large cap, for example, being uh, companies with market capitalization of more than ten billion dollars. So it's just the 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 total amount of shares out there multiplied by its stock price. If that equals more than ten billion, it's a large cap stock. And there's two to ten billion is your mid cap, same formula. Three hundred million to two billion is your is your small caps. So they're all different size companies. And then again, there's you can kind of split that between growth and and, and value. But there's other things like international is is another asset class. Uh, emerging markets is another asset class. Real estate, um, fixed income. They're typically when you're thinking about the different asset classes, the main three are going to be just equities, fixed income, and cash or cash alternatives. And then it's just broken down into to different areas of the world or different sectors in the market. Okay, so so when you're helping a client, 
be diversified, what do you th- like? How do you go about even figuring that out? How do you figure out how much should go into the large cap versus the small cap and that kind of thing? Yeah, so th- that's you know through partnering with different research companies. You know, we we use a lot of Ladenburg Thalman research, BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, and there's the basic concept comes down to something called modern portfolio theory, but it's a it's a blend of eight different asset classes between large, mid, small. Uh, international domestic companies uh, and fixed income, and then how how we end up building the portfolio is is going to be again in alignment. Going back to the first question, honestly, is just the in alignment with their goals, their risk tolerance, and their time horizon. So if they're if they have a shorter time horizon, then they're going to have less equities. If they have a longer time horizon, they're going to have more equities. And, and to kind of help the the there's some listeners out there that might not know even why that that is the case like why should i own equities if i have a longer time horizon versus less equities with a shorter time horizon so well with a longer time horizon you have more i guess you have the ability to withstand uh ups and downs in the market so they're gonna stocks are going to be more volatile than fixed income or bonds right so if you have a longer time horizon you can weather the storm of the ups and downs you know for example uh, you know, if you were a young investor in, let's just say, 2005, what happened in 2008 didn't really matter that much because you have a long time horizon. And in 2008, stocks took a big tumble, right? Or fixed income and cash, they did not take a big tumble. So if you're if you're close to your to your goal, you're going to want to have less equities uh, than than fixed income. If you're further away from your goals, you can have more equities, uh, which are going to help you to significantly out or hopefully outpace inflation over time, keep up with the cost of goods uh, and more. Yeah. Matt, if you're, if, if you were to give advice to our listeners, like if, if there's people out there that they want to start to understand this stuff a little bit more, is there any good books you suggest or any good resources you might recommend that people start paying attention to each day or every week or something like that to help people start to understand what all this means, what we're talking about and how the markets work and diversification and that kind of thing. Well, I can tell you to, to start on where not to start. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. you know, the first place to, to probably not start is, is just, you know, the media, you know, not, not social media and not people who are trying to sell you things. So, you know, we run across that quite a bit where folks will come to us with uh, this end of the world theory where the, you know, the, the stock market is going to crash tomorrow. And where they ended up hearing that was from from somebody who was actually trying to sell them something on, on one of their programs or one of their books or, or something like that. So, you know, just be aware of what you are listening to. And as far as, as research, an easy place to look is if you want to be somewhat analytical is if you're looking at investing, especially in mutual funds or index funds, is, is look at the prospectus of what you're actually buying. So every time you, you purchase a mutual fund or you're going to do it inside of your 401k, there's a little button there or they'll mail it to you, which includes a prospectus. And inside of that, it just tells tells you exactly what the goals and objectives of that mutual fund is, what they're invested or what they're planning on investing in, you know, their turnover, the expense ratio, all of those those factors that that most people actually ignore. And we find so many folks are invested in different things and they don't really understand what it is um, or why they actually purchase it. So as far as increasing your knowledge, you know, that that's certainly one area to start. Um, but 
Okay. Let you sleep that there. Yeah. I, I think that the maybe I'm wrong with this, guys, but I feel like a lot of people like know, even if they don't know investing, they've heard like, I got to be diversified, right? Like you always hear that, right? Like I know it's important to be diversified, even if they don't know what that really means. Maybe they know it means don't have all my eggs in one basket. So like they may know, okay, I need to be diversified. I have to have a portfolio that's invested across asset classes, right? Maybe they they know that now after listening to us. But I feel like when it comes to the actual application, because we hear this question a million times, like if a client has to log into their 401k and they have to build their, they have to choose funds for the first time, there's a huge list of funds. How are they supposed to know which ones to use? And how, how are they supposed to know if they're diversified or not? <laughs> I guess either of you guys can answer that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's... again, go back back to what Mark was saying. As far as your age and your risk tolerance and your time horizon, I, I would say time horizon is is by far the most important piece of, you know, picking your your funds. Um, I think the the nice part is most four hundred one k platforms these days have are, you know, they're in this position where they can actually provide you risk tolerance questionnaires. And if you don't have them, those are things that we can provide to a lot of our clients, or you can even Google it. Um, and take those you know it's really helpful to understand your risk tolerance um, and if you're willing or you know able to stomach the ups and the downs of the market so um, you know making sure you you do one of those risk profiles i would say is very very key because you don't want to get into a position where what happened last year where the market dropped 30 40 percent in a matter of a month you know can you stomach that if you're 65 and planning on retiring losing almost 40 percent of your portfolio um, now we know the market had recovered, but many people make mistakes through that period of time. So, you know, just starting and understanding what your risk tolerance is and doing questionnaires. And again, we have those type of things for, for our clients, or you can even Google them. Um, but that is really, really important to, to begin to choose on what your next investment is or what you right. should be putting them in. But beyond that, Steve, I would, I would say that there are really good, you know, just target date or target risk funds inside. I of was that. literally, ever, I was yeah. literally about to ask you that if a client chooses a target date fund, which, which they, most people probably do because it's a great solution. It's like kind of like a, a, a one size fits all solution. Mark, you usually say that are they diversified mm -hmm. if they use a target date fund? Mm. Yeah. And target date funds naturally are, our diversified uh, portfolio. Again, the asset allocation changes over time as you near that target retirement date. Um, you know, it becomes more and more conservative over a period of time. But a lot of 401ks have very limited options. And typically what we're seeing with most of them is that the target date retirement funds, uh, you know, give you the most diversification or a target risk fund like a, you know, a, you know, aggressive mutual fund or, or things like that. Um, you know, that's a good place to start. If you're not working with an advisor who can help you design a portfolio and you don't have the knowledge on how to do that on your own, we we would recommend starting at something like that to at least build diversification. Yeah, Mark, if you're going in there and let's say you're not working with an advisor, or you are and you're just like doing it yourself for some reason and you're going on there and you're trying to pick the funds, what are you doing? Yeah, so, uh, so with, for those with of you little who... education. Yeah, so I have a kind of a good way to explain these these target dates. So, um, so those of you who know me and have seen me, I'm a bigger guy. And if you if you haven't seen me, now you know that I'm a bigger guy. And I would define these target date funds. Wait, <laughs> Nate, Nate called would, them the master of the apps. I think they could have probably they could have already 
realized that. <laughs> well, well, one of one of the problems that I run into out there in in the uh, the clothing world is they have these one size fits most type of uh, tags on things, uh, but not a, not a one size fits all, or it's not custom built for me necessarily, right? So it's the same thing as as these target date funds. It's kind of a one size fits most based on your age. Um, and it's, it's definitely, if you're not going to seek advice and you're not going to get help with it, that's the, definitely the safest option inside of your 401k to, to make sure that you're diversified and it's, it's appropriately allocated based on, you know, a lot of other people that are the same age or, or targeting to retire the same, you know, in the same year as you. Um, but it, you know, if it's, if it's a client that, you know, we're working with and we're helping them to build a portfolio, we're going to have them send over their their available options and we're going to build a portfolio in alignment with how we would manage it uh given given the the holdings that are available to them uh sometimes that's tough right there's you're in a 401k you're limited to a certain amount of funds to choose from um and that can, it can be tough to build a, a you know a fully diversified portfolio we might not be able to get all the asset classes in there um but yeah i guess the, the short answer is when all else fails the target date's fine uh, otherwise target i would date. i would seek advice Yep. Uh, target date funds are, are going to be, or what, yeah, the target retirement. Um, I would, but ideally you're seeking advice. You're doing a risk tolerance, you know, risk tolerance profile and you're understanding, you know, your, uh, how much risk you're willing to take and then building a portfolio in alignment with that. Right. Nate, so, anything to add to that for the 401k yeah. question? Because I feel like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a question we all hear. Yes. Yeah. We get this question all the time. I do. I do have an, I have a, another question. So we've kind of been talking a lot right now about like, okay, so we know we need to be diversified. Um, and we know that, you know, we could do a risk tolerance questionnaire and we should be able to figure out, how, you know, how much we should have in stocks versus bonds. And then, then you go into your 401k and you pick the funds or whatever. And so you, you pick it and you get it set up and maybe you go target date. Maybe you're building your own portfolio. One of the hardest things of investing is knowing when to make changes. Mm -hmm. So, so Mark or Matt, either one of you guys kind of want to take this. And I feel like 2020 was one of the best education years, maybe in the history of investing. We should do an entire podcast, just literally talking about lessons learned from 2020 when it comes to investing. But I like when, when do you make changes? How do you know mm -hmm. when to make a change? That's a question I get all the time. Is like, hey, should we change anything? You know. So, how, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I and this is so I, I would start by just saying, as far as gold wise, you know, at least five to ten years away from the specific withdrawal period of time. If we're talking about retirement and you're planning on retiring at sixty five, having a developed plan five to 10 years away is is really, really important. Obviously, the earlier you can start, the better. Um, but those target date funds are, are really great at accumulating wealth towards the goal um, and helping you, you know, not make mistakes and still staying diversified. But as you get closer to retirement, you, you may want to consider getting out of a target date fund and actually building a, you know, a diversified portfolio using different solutions as far as the different asset classes Mark was, was referring to. Um, because at that point in your life, investor behavior starts to really creep in. And you know, we find clients in all different scenarios at that point in their life. You know, we've run into folks who have been in cash five, 10 years away um, from retirement because they, they feel like they built a nice nest egg and they want to make sure that that nest egg is preserved. Um, 
and they're just making some mistakes over that period of time. So I would say as far as figuring that out, that five to 10 year window, especially for retirement is important. And that also goes back to just when we look back at historical market corrections or you know recessions, the average time it takes to rebound from you know a, a recessionary period or a bear market. So, it, Nate, you you asked the question, you know, how do you know when to make a change to your allocation? Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, I guess I would probably argue, and I have no proof or evidence that would support this necessarily, but I would I would argue that. When you start to ask that question, there's there's one of two possibilities. Number one, you're it's too late, uh, and number two, there's there's probably a lot of noise going on out there, and it's it's making you think that you should make a change, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that you should make a change. And, and one of the best decisions you can make out there is to do nothing, and to to yeah. go back to the point of you know what one of the biggest things we've learned just re, you know recently and. And I know it was only, you know, back in 2008, it's not that far away, but we need to keep, this is going to keep happening over time is, is to, to realize that the people who did nothing and just stayed the course, you know, after the, the COVID correction happened, their money was back to where it was, you know, before the correction happened in, in probably less than two months, right? Okay. So just stay the course. What's one of the best decisions you can make is, is to just stay the course and do nothing. Um, it, Another thing I've heard out there is that your your money is like a bar of soap, and the more that you handle it, the less that you have of it. So if you kind of think about the more you're touching, it, <laughs> I love that. Stuff. That's so, so good. I've never, heard that. I've never heard you say that. I've never. Did you just? Go, that was awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Dude, when you think about it, it's it's true, right? If you keep putting your hands on that money, you're going to have less of it, and it, it unfortunately because you're trying to time the market and. Another That's big lesson the hardest, the hardest thing to do when it comes to investing is especially the more you have. The more you have and the closer you are to needing the money or the closer you are to retirement, if you don't have like another person or something like that to tell you to not touch it, it especially during whatever day it was, March 23rd, I think was the low when when COVID hit. I mean, if you're losing yeah you know, 20 or 30% of the money that you worked your entire life in a couple of days. I mean, mm -hmm. you could probably, what you said in the beginning, Mark, right? Hindsight is 2020. You could say, oh, well, I would have been fine. I just wouldn't have sold. And then you mm -hmm. actually see that happening to you. That's got to be like crazy. I yep. mean, we've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah. remember, you know, obviously it was only a year ago, but I remember having conversations with clients, you know, should we, should we move all to bonds? Right. And this was yeah. like, you know, end of March. Well, it's it's too late to be doing something like that. You know, if we could have seen the future and we had the crystal ball, sure, maybe we would have before that. But um, but we don't have that. So once you're in it, you got you really got to stay the course and have a strategy to to buy low. And right. and that's that's one of the nice things about asset allocation is that you know if you if you're properly diversified and you have things acting differently in your portfolio, they're they're not all going down at the same time. You have the opportunity to buy things that are down. Uh, when that time comes. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is, what would you get, and Matt, you could answer this too, because I have another good question after this, but what do you guys think is more important for an investor? Managing your emotions or picking or having the right stock in your portfolio? Like having, or like a certain investment, like having a right fund, like which one's more important, picking the right fund or managing your emotions? Like who, would, what investor is going to end up 
uh, on top at the end of a of a time period. The one who correctly manages their emotions or the one that picks the better fund. Yeah, what we find is no one fund is the best fund over extended periods of time. You know, if you look at Morningstar ratings, the top, you know, ones that are at fives end up becoming fours, threes, twos, ones, and the ones that are twos become, you know, higher rated funds over a period of time. So I, I would say that it's definitely not picking the best fund. Which is so weird because I, I feel like that's what everyone who's new to investing thinks like it's such an easy mistake to to make. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I would say that it's 100% managing your emotions, right? Because it's, it's really hard to do that when you're managing your own money. Um, it's even hard sometimes for myself, you know, looking at my own portfolio, it gets, it's harder to do that when it's your own money. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely when it comes down to it, it's definitely, it, the, the short answer is managing the emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, you know, it's even further than that. It's not necessarily about picking the right stocks. It's, having the the proper amount of equities to fixed income and cash based on your risk tolerance, your time horizon, et cetera, right? So it, it's even less than just picking the right stock. It's more about the what percentage of your portfolio is in stocks, period, regardless of the stock, and what percentage is in fixed income and cash, and making sure that they're in alignment with your risk tolerance, not not what you asked your friend you know, what they're doing and how their portfolio is built, but how, how much risk are you willing to take yourself? Right. Mm-hmm. So one, one quick question, see, before we go to the next one. Um, so I had asked the question, like, when do you make a change or when should you make a change? And we talked about basically the general consensus there is you probably shouldn't make any changes, but when should you actually make a change? So, so, so Matt, you were kind of talking about like the time horizon, like, what are the scenarios where you would say to a client, yep, we need to make some changes in this thing? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it, I guess the biggest topic is typically retirement. And one thing that we're always doing is, is working with clients, figuring out their cash flow or their budget needs. And let's say you're five years away from retirement and you need, um, you know, $50,000 a year to, to survive off of, you know, in retirement. Our biggest thing that we work on with them is helping them figure out well, what dollars need to be safe as you approach retirement? So, you know, if it's $50,000, our goal is to have roughly five to six years of safe assets built up for them. Um, And again, it it really depends on the time horizon, but for those specific folks, the goal will be as you near retirement, figuring out exactly what you need on a month to month basis and what that cash flow or the distribution, I guess, what is your distribution goal at the end? And how do we how do we allocate how much that's how Mark and I figure out how much or us as advisors, how much we actually have to allocate towards safe assets so that if the market does, you know, correct or, you know, we have a recession that you have enough safe assets built up that you never have to sell at a loss. So. Mm-hmm. So you base it all off of time, right? Like so if you're if you're if your goals have changed. And like the time horizon has changed. If one of those two things have changed, would you say that's the time where it's like, okay, we really need to revisit your investment model and make some changes here? Yeah, and, and it happened a lot this year. I mean, you know, many folks had lost jobs or, you know, decided to sell their house and want to buy a new one. I mean, for us, that causes us to, as soon as those goals change or the time horizon changes as far as what we were projecting or planning with, we immediately decide we okay we have to take action it's not worth the market risk if you have a goal that you want to buy a house in six months you know is it worth the upside 
you know, folks want always want to earn money or, you know, grow their wealth. But if you ask them if they want, if they're willing to lose that and show them the potential loss, if the market, you know, doesn't go up, um, you know, then they change their thought process a little bit. So, you know, for us, goals are really, really important. I mean, Dash Capital is, you know, helping our clients max their Dash. Um, you know, we want to make sure that they're accomplishing the things that are most important to them and for them to miss out on a 10% rate of return versus getting the house that they wanted in the short term. I, I think that's probably more important. Yeah. Now, what I would add to that is just if you're doing this stuff on your own and you're trying to, to manage, let's just go to the 401k point, right? And you're doing this stuff on your own. You should have a, a rules-based or disciplined process for how you make decisions and have some good questions to ask yourself. And and one of them is, is did your goal change? Did your time horizon change, right? Did your risk tolerance change? Those are, if you're, again, if you're doing this stuff all on your own, um, obviously internally at Dash Capital, we, we make changes frequently based on market trends, right? In, in the changing environment that we're in, rising interest rates, lowering interest rates, whatever, whatever's going on out there, we're making adjustments that, uh, you know, as things go, it's more of a tactical approach. Um, but when you're doing this on your own, you, you should definitely have a, a series of questions that you ask yourself. And that way you can take the emotion out of it. Yes or no questions. If, and, if we, if, if we were to simplify that, Mark, like what Nate just asked, what you guys both said, and maybe I'm I'm making it too simple and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. If they're if the questions they asked themselves, Mark, were just did my did my time horizon change? Did my risk tolerance change? And if both of those things are no, should they just not change anything every time? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that you're referring to money that they're managing on their own, correct? Yes. Yeah. Let's. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like. Yep. Yeah, and I, I would, say, would say I would add I I would add into that. Did your goals change? Did your goals so change? Did, yeah. Did your time horizon change? Did your goals change? Has your risk tolerance changed? If those are all no's, then don't forget, change anything. Forget the noise. Block you just got to block the noise. Okay. Okay. So if they're and let's say like the goal because it's in an IRA, obviously the goal is for retirement, and so obviously their goal isn't changed. They want to still retire at sixty. They still want to be really risky, and their time horizon is the same and another uh, a crash happened like it did last year you say change nothing yeah correct yep so then yeah, you got if you were if you were goals. if you were in those positions in the first place that that means that you your risk tolerance was you know you were willing to to take that that level of risk and you shouldn't change that unless the other things are true you know your goals change your time horizons change the amounts changed what you know whatever if any of those things are true, then sure, you can make a change. That's probably not the best time to do it. But if you're right. properly allocated, you should never have to sell stocks in a down market. Okay. So I think that leads perfectly into the next question. So those things are taken care of. You have those questions you're asking yourself, and then all you have to do now is block out the noise, as we say, or manage your emotions, right? There's always those studies that you guys probably see every single year where the rate of returns that an investors get compared to the overall market and the indexes always outperform what the individual investors do. And I, we probably already answered the question. You could probably understand it's because of emotions and people sell and get very emotional when they see them lose the money. But yeah, why don't you guys, why don't you guys go into that? Why, why do investors continuously underperform the index? 
and why don't one of you guys can explain what an index to is as well yeah i I mean the biggest thing back to what you you know we've been talking about pretty much today is just managing emotions um is probably the biggest reason and people are very 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 short-term focused as far as the market and i always go back to this whole fomo we we get calls all the time about this but you know people the media is there to grab your attention and they typically are going to report on negative news and that's where people are glued to it and you know that that will make you make bad decisions if you're focusing on thinking for the worse and and we can look back on history and and you look at how index funds you know specifically the S&P 500 has performed um, you know that there's going to be ups and downs on a day-to-day basis and people forget that they, they're very short-term short-sighted focus and again if you historically know and you go back to the hindsight is 2020 on and on and on we, we see this that if you just stayed the course you would have done fine but people try to time the market and typically what they're doing is they they think that they can sell at the bottom and you know or excuse me buy at the bottom and then sell at the top and that is so hard to to actually determine when that's going to be but everybody thinks they're they're better than than they actually are and we can go into how how people actually you know when we get examples of somebody's portfolio and they send it over to us and they say they're doing well they've never actually calculated their rate of return um (laughs) and when we actually show them what their rate of return is all they're focused on is the winners in their portfolio not the losers so um you know i i would just stress to folks the reason that this happens is because they don't stick the course and they try to time the market and and it's very 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 difficult to you know time the market in any way yeah i would say it's more might be impossible if anyone has figured out how to um (laughs) buy at the bottom and sell at the top give us a call yes we're hiring we're we're hiring hiring. (laughs) (laughs) so so guys i'm looking at i'm looking at um on jp morgan's uh weekly markets website right now they they're uh it says over this is over 20 years and i want to say i don't see the exact years but i think this is 2008 or 2000 um 1999 through two, 2019 it says the average investor returns were 1.9% in a 60/40 allocation compared to a 5.2% average return for a 60/40 allocation so you're talking and this is basically the study that comes out every year is that investors get like a third to like half the return of the of the benchmarks mm-hmm. that's a crazy difference crazy difference like why is this always happening so so matt you're saying that it's the noise it's like the media and people getting why but why are we so like why are we as humans so like why are we the victim of that you know how how Mm -hmm. can we combat that i guess maybe is a better question mark how can we how can we stop being that way (laughs) and getting half of the market's returns yeah so i mean there's I'm going to go around on this answer. I'm, I'm, I apologize for the listeners here. Um, so first off, there's literally studies that show, and you can easily go find this stuff that show when the market's going up, there's there's a lot more buying happening. And when the do- market's going down, there's a lot more selling happening, right? And so you're literally seeing the flows do the wrong thing, right? You're supposed to be buying low and selling high. But 
investors, it's that FOMO thing. You know, they see things going up or getting to an all-time high even. And that's when they're starting to pile in money uh, as opposed to going in a different direction, right? That's the time to be to be waiting. You want to be buying low, selling high. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that when you looking at that same study with, with JP Morgan, six of the 10 best days in the market have occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days in the market, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're typically, you know, that's re- that's pretty close together, right? When it's when it's on those really bad days, I, I highly doubt that you're able to figure out that perfect timing to get back in within two weeks of those of those 10 worst days, right? You, you've already missed the opportunity. So simply by staying the course and, and taking emotion out of it and, and thinking logically, um, you would have not had that happen to you, not captured, you know, what was it, one fifth of the 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 return that you should have gotten. Um, so I think that a lot of the reason that it happens is piling into investments and getting out of investments at the wrong time because they're they're trying to, you know, people are trying to time the market. They don't want to miss the the rave that's going on out there and in Bitcoin or whatever it is, Tesla, blah, 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 right? All these things that are there's a lot of noise that's going on out there. So it's buying and selling at the wrong times and letting emotion get in, get into their decision making versus logical making logical decisions. Um, it is it's easy to say that in, in you know with with hindsight that if you just stayed the course things would have been fine, right? One of my favorite questions that I get asked is is why don't I just buy the S and P 500 and and ride that out? Well, that's another thing. It's easy to just say that you're going to do that, right? But imagine being an investor in in 2008 and in, during that year, there was a decline of as far as 49% during the year, it finished down 38%. And then 2009, it got as, as bad as 28% down, right? So do you think that most investors, they, they can sit here and say they would have stayed the course if they were all in the S&P 500 and rode that wave out. But would you follow up a down 38% year with another 28% intra-year decline in 2009 and stayed the course? Do you think you would have done that? It's It's hard to say that you would have. But if you did, 2009 finished positive 23%, right? So it's it's easy to look back and say that you would stay the course, but it's it's hard it's really hard to do that when you're all in one one thing and you're and you're watching your your life savings get crushed by yep. you know as much as 50 60 percent over that period of time. Mm-hmm. I I think it's easier to stay the course too, Nate, where it comes back to the beginning of what we were talking about, right? Having proper asset allocation and diversification, right, Mark? If it's way easier to stay the course when you have uh, different investments in your portfolio as opposed to 100% of your portfolio being Apple and Tesla. So mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. just goes back to I feel like if you're the more diversified you are, the better tooled you are to weather that storm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that'll till, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I think part of that story, Steve, is that, you know, if you're if you're 100% invested in the S&P 500, 500 largest companies in America, right? Um, that you know, if you if you would have stayed the course, things would have been fine. But going back to that same period of time, you know, it took from 2008 until March of 2012 before someone 100% invested in the S&P 500 got back to square one. Right. Where if you were in a diversified portfolio, a six, in this example, a 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you reach full recovery back by October of 2010. So some other investor might look at this and say, oh, well, over the long haul, the S&P 500 has outperformed a 60-40 portfolio. But in October of 2010, 
you might be pretty mad that you weren't a 60-40 investor compared to having all of your money in the S&P 500 because it took another two years before you got all your money back. That's so crazy. I the think best, uh, I was just going to say the best example that like I always try to to walk clients through just off the top of their head is, is I say you have a hundred thousand dollars and the market goes down 50 percent how much do you have Steve how much do you have oh my gosh don't put Nate how much do we have <laughs> 50 grand you have fifty thousand dollars the market went down 50 percent you have fifty thousand dollars your hundred is now turned into fifty so Nate, the market goes up fifty percent. How much do you have now? Seventy-five thousand. In yes. Now most people's instant reaction is it went down fifty. It went up fifty. I have a hundred, but you you are correct, Nate. Yeah, you you do have seventy-five thousand. In order to get back from your fifty percent loss, you have to make a hundred percent return. So it's. Yep. It's tough. And so we just walk clients through. And I think that's what a lot of the risk tolerance is just helping them understand. Can you as an investor stomach something like that? When you have a low dollar amount, you may be able to. But, you know, when you're when you're building large amounts of wealth and, and for us, just, you know, we, we take pride. in. I guess what we do is we, we don't want our clients to ever feel that that feeling that they you know are off track. And one yeah. thing that I want one thing I want to add to all of this is that volatility is normal. Right. So Daily. you look at, <laughs> yes. So I'm looking at JP Morgan's market insights for any fact checkers out there. Um, markets suffer over the last 40 years in the S&P 500. Tw uh, 22 out of those 40 years, at some point in the year, the market was down double digits. Yet, out of those 40 years, it produced a positive return 75% of the time. So Again, to make sure that people understand that, they're like, at some point in the year, you were down 10% or more, 22 out of the last 40 years, but you made money 75% of the time when the year ended, like at the at year end. Volatility is completely normal, right? It's completely normal. It's like the, like the way I always think about it is that it's the price you pay for the, the return, the returns that you're going to get if you ride this thing out. You just have to like, look at it that way. It's just... You have to look at it that way, but it's not, it's not sexy. You know what I mean? Like just boring old ride the course, just stay invested. It's not sexy in that. And I feel like th as humans, we just have, we have these bias and we have these blind spots. I mean, it's the same reason that there's all these businesses that exist, right. That tell us that if you, you know, you take this weight loss pill, you're going to lose weight. Like we're always looking for the shortcut. Versus doing the discipline day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out for a long period of time, you will get the results that you want. And I feel like that's the hardest part for investors is to like just trust that process and just be boring and just stay the course and be diversified. When your friend tells you that they just made a crush, they just absolutely crushed it on Dogecoin this week. Right. You know, yeah. all that noise starts to get into your head. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna title this episode the one investment you need to make, and then the answer is we'll get a lot of clicks, <laughs> a lot of clicks. Okay, so let's. I think that this is a, this is a, any other things to say about like kind of the emotion topic, guys. Before I I go off to our probably our last question. Well, I, actually, yeah, I, I just thought of something. You know, I yep. I think. Um, you know, one thing that's sticking out to me 
is that you know people you're going to hear people who made a killing recently uh in, in some play out there but in in my entire career and i would argue that you guys would agree with this as well i've never had an investor care more about their rate of return than achieving their goals and in you know sure some of those really exciting uh quote unquote, sexy investments that you can make out there may produce some big returns in a short period of time. But what's far more important than that is, are you on track to achieve your goals? And if you want to do something really exciting and you're looking for that thrill in life, go skydive or something. This isn't yep. supposed to be something crazy. You should be, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a method to get you to achieve your goals, whatever they are. Um, and at least that's my opinion on it. Yeah, and I, I, regardless, the last 12 months have been great. I mean, it, it is nice to see that so many people are are focused on wanting to to build their wealth and get get knowledge on the investing world. You know, in the past, people really just ignored that and went and spent their money. But people were in lockdown the last 12 months and had nothing better to do. And they they I think it I think it's a good thing in the long run that what has happened is far as the investing world is getting so many people involved and interested in wanting to to build wealth and save money. So, you yeah. know, all in all, I think it's still a good thing. Whether it's Dogecoin or, you know, Bitcoin or whatever <laughs> it is. GameStop, whatever. Yeah. yeah Nate, any last thing to add to that? No, I, I love that response. I think that, Mark, what you just said is, is yeah. if, if there is one takeaway from this entire podcast, it's, are you on track to achieve your goals? Yes or no? And if the answer is yes, that then just keep doing what you're doing. Don't try to just trust that process. Yep. All right. So we talked about some stuff and we'll, we'll summarize it at the end here, but I think this last question is just a little like uh, just kind of summarizing everything, but just kind of like a, maybe just a random investing question, but what is the most common mistake you see investors make? We'll start with Mark. Hmm. Timing the the market versus time in the market um, would be the, the a big one. So, you know, and I guess chasing chasing the shiny object. So that's probably two things. Sorry. So timing the market versus time in the market. I believe that time in the market is always going to be timing the market. And the second thing being, don't chase that shiny object out there. Um, people are piling into investments. After all of the noise has already happened, a lot of that buildup has already happened, and they're they're gonna unfortunately uh, not get the result that they want most of the time. Yeah, and I feel like we have to be cautious and always say most of the time because there's always those winners, but you know, majority of them. I think of the shiny fish when Mark says that, and you know, sees this, the shiny object swimming across, and Mark runs up and grabs it. He's like, "Oh, should I grab it? Should I?" It keeps going higher. <laughs> <laughs> grabs it. Nate's on the other end fishing and pulls him in and says, I gotcha. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I would add to, I, I guess, what is the most common mistake that we see is is people think that, you know, because the, a stock is trading at $1 versus $100, that it's cheap. Um, and I think it's really important mm. that folks understand what valuation is. We get that all the time. Oh, my God, this stock is so cheap. You know, it's only trading at a dollar or five dollars. You know, it's really relative to what the valuation of the company is. <clears throat> so what the market cap of that company is, I think it's really important that people understand you, you take that stock price, <clears throat> multiply it by the shares outstanding. And that's 
that's uh, the market cap of the, the company. Excuse me. That's a great. That's a, that's a great point, Matt. That I feel like, like we all know, we've all been there where you buy that like kitchen table that was super cheap from whatever. So I'm not gonna name a store, although I do have one on my mind that really I'm mad at right now. But um, you buy that cheap <laughs> dining room table or whatever, and then you got to replace it in a couple years versus buying the one that is well-made, well-established that, you know, you can trust. And, and, but for some reason with stocks, people are like doing the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, what, what you just said, Nate <clears throat> brings me back to like, I can't remember who told us this, but <clears throat> the, the, the thought, or maybe it's a theory or whatever, but cheap is not good and good is not cheap. That is mm. always stuck in my head. Cheap yeah. is not good and good is not cheap. Yep. I love that. Love that. Now Steve, that doesn't I, mean that the stock price, but you get what I'm saying. Yep, totally understand. Steve, can I ask one more question before we wrap up? Yes. Rip it. Mark. Mm -hmm. Best appetizer on any dinner menu. Go. Oh my God. Best appetizer on any dinner menu. Wow. Uh, this is. Oh my the, God! The first thing that just the first thing that just popped into my head was poutine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know if that means I'm craving it or or something, but that is the first thing that popped into my head. And I don't know if this is a fair one to say, but you know, a, a, a lot of like good well restaurants that I like to go to, they'll have like brick oven pizzas that you can get. They're not necessarily the greatest meal, but I don't know if anything really beats a really well made pizza. Um, you know, if you can have a slice or two for an appetizer, it's, it's hard to beat that one. Or, What's uh, a poutine? Uh, wait, <laughs> poutine. What? I will <laughs> wager. I will wager. Fifty percent of the people listening to this will not know what a poutine no is. No way. No. Yes. No. DM us on Instagram if you know what a poutine is. If, if you're right, if you're right, Steve, then I'm really happy that I just helped out fifty percent of the people listening to this. Yeah. Um, but there is, there's no, what is it? I still don't know what it is. Think about it like the French version of, uh, of loaded fries, you know, gravy, cheese. Canadian. I've had it with pulled pork <laughs> on there. Is it Canadian? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Poutine sounds French to me. Okay. <laughs> yes, DM us. Oh my God. You know what poutine Wait. is? There's no way. Mark, how did you not say tuna nachos? Ooh. That, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm clearly, I, I must be craving poutine this time of year. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That's a wrap. Is that it? Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening, liking, and sharing. Reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing, what you guys want to hear next. But other than that, thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Security America Advisors, Inc. Dash Capital Advisors and Securities America are separate entities.